We welcome you to another live edition of the Sports Box, brought to you by our sponsor, Showcase Sports in Hamilton. Showcase Sports for the elite athlete. And by our friends over at Crowdplay. Download the free Crowdplay app today and check them out at www.crowdplayapp.com for details. Ladies and gentlemen, it's showtime. Hey everybody, welcome back to Cage My IQ. I'm your host, D-Bake. Joining with me today is one championship uh, veteran fighter, Gary Mangat. How's it going, Gary? Not bad, man. How are you doing? I'm not doing too uh, too bad myself. Uh, it's stopped raining, so and it's sunny out, so can't beat that. Right, right. Yeah, same thing over here. So, uh, so knowing that uh, the first uh, one championship on TNT has just aired, I just wanted to, before I get started, get your opinion on how it is to have the 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 fight uh, show being shown in the U.S. now. Yeah, it's super cool, man. It's a uh, new exposure, and I think it's much needed. It's to show people that there is um, very talented fighters worldwide outside of the UFC and everything that most most of the North American crowd knows. Um, and it showed itself, right? It showed itself on that night on the debut. And I'm hoping that American fans and North American fans keep tuning in and seeing, man, there's some there's some crazy guys that are outside of, I guess you can say an organization like the UFC, which is well-known in North America and in one championship is so big in Asia. Yeah. Yeah. I, I watched it. I was like, uh, people keep telling me, you got to watch one. You got to watch one. It's really good. It, it, and they're finally uh, going to show a, a, a few shows in the U S. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll give it a watch. And then I was blown away with the, with the talent that I knew a couple of them, like of course, Eddie Alvarez mm-hmm. and I knew Mighty Mouse. But to get that exposure from all the other guys, uh, I got to get to know uh, Rod Tang, like watching yeah. film with him. He's he's a prodigy in himself. He's but uh, now 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 I'm diving right in, and I want to watch like past episodes and past yeah. fights because it just shows so much. Yeah, it's all, it's all good. But uh, I'll get started right into uh, uh, the first question I have. How does it feel to be uh, Indian and then grow up in Canada? Um, it's so – it depends on which part of Canada you grew up. So I grew up on the West Coast, but I didn't grow up in Vancouver. I grew up in a small town, uh, which was up north, which is six hours away from Vancouver. And up there, um, it's like, you know, you grew – it's it's – my parents are first generation. So everything that they've been exposed to is brand new. So my parents came to Canada in about, I believe it's 86, 87. I, I was born in 87. And uh, basically just imagine just leaving everything that you know and comfortable and then moving to an entire new world. And so the weird thing was that I was the first generation in Canada for my family. So everything that was Western, I was learning and bringing it back home. I taught my parents what Western holidays were. I told my I taught my parents what Christmas is, what Halloween is, um, like you know all the things that kind of I was learning. So I had to grow up really quick because I became like kind of like the 
outsider, the person that would go outside, bring information back and teach it to my family because my family didn't know any of it. Then I had siblings, I have a younger sister and I have a, a younger brother who's about six years uh, younger. So all these things that I missed out on, like, you know, the idea of Santa Claus and stuff like that, I understood right away what was real, what wasn't, what people do. So I became that even though, so I never got to live that kind of magic myself, but I always wanted to bring it to uh, my siblings and stuff. And these are things that we didn't have in India, like, you know, in India, they, they don't teach this kind of stuff. So teaching those kind of things was, uh, uh, was huge. And just growing up, learning two different contrasts between the Western world and holding on to the values that my parents have taught me with and kind of balancing that my whole life. It's always been something my parents never wanted me to forget who I was, my identity that I came from, but also you have to adapt to the place that you're living in now too, right? So um, we made it work. Uh, do you take it as like a plus that you were able to have two different styles, like uh, the Canadian style and then the Indian style? Like, of course, like, like, you know, like there was many years where I guess – and I think most Indian kids, Punjabi kids, Sikh kids, Hindu kids, they all go through this. They're not so proud of their identity. They're almost ashamed of it because I guess growing up, it wasn't kind of um, shown that it was cool to be what we were. But it's once I realized how proud I should be of the cloth that I'm cut from is when I really started noticing the powers that I have and the DNA that I'm from, which is ultimately what has made me successful in MMA is knowing my culture and my roots is is what's made me successful in MMA is identifying that listen you're cut from this warrior cloth this is where you're from this is what your ancestors is this is who you are and that ultimately is what I go into the cage with had I never been proud of my identity I don't think I'd be anywhere where I am today I'd probably be just trying to and make different cultures different races different like you know just not fit into whatever it is but I became proud of who I was and what I am and I wanted to show other Indian kids to be proud of who they are and what they are and the roots that they're cut from. Yeah, that's a that's a great thing to hear because you know that that's where you came from. You're never going to forget it. But then you kind of grew up in Canada, so you want to keep that too. So you try and mix a little bit of both, which which is a nice thing. Yeah. But uh, moving on, uh, what were some of your hobbies growing up, and did you enjoy high school? Um. My hobbies growing up, well, I was a comic book nerd since day one. I have a huge comic book collection. Um, I was a very imaginative kid. Uh, yeah, I was a very imaginative. The hobbies that I really had was I played soccer, but I wasn't the greatest at it. I wanted to play basketball, wasn't the greatest at it. The main reason I did these things is because the people, I guess, the people that were my friends, they were the ones that were doing this. So I just needed people to hang out with, but I sucked at both of them. Um, so I don't really know what my real actual hobbies were at that time. I don't think I just was a follower. I would say I was a big follower most of my life up until I, re until I discovered MMA. And for high school, I enjoyed high school, but at the same time, also was that easy target to be picked on. I was also that kid that, once again, I was a follower. I was the guy who never spoke up. I had a lot of I think bright ideas, but I always had the fear of speaking up and saying something and uh, the strength and courage that I have now to stand for what I do, I didn't have at that time. And and I think that was one of the biggest things. I, I just kind of sat in a role where I was just this short, chubby kid that was easy to pick on. And that's kind of the role I played all through high school. 
is that one of the things that uh, got you started with the uh, with uh, the the buoying uh, thing that you did with the uh, one championship? Talk about overcoming uh, buoying because of yeah. something that happened with yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was a huge thing, overcoming bullying. It was like you know, it was one of those things where I was teased and mimicked. Um, um, like you know, whether I was short, whether I had like a stutter growing up, whether I had um, a speech impediment, whether I was there was several different things that you could target me for. And um, I just took them really. I realized when I reflect back on it, how weak of a person I was. Um, and yeah, and just kind of realizing it later on when I reflect back. How did you end up uh, getting started with uh, learning MMA? I know you went to uh, school, secondary school or college. Uh, I forget how it is in Canada. And I know you took up accounting. Yeah, but uh, didn't you start with MMA after that, or did were you learning it when, when you yeah. were a kid? So what happened was this was two thousand seven, two thousand eight. I was two years into accounting school, three years I think, um, in Vancouver. Now I'd moved up to Vancouver, and I'd found another group of friends where I was basically once again the follower. They were the bigger, stronger guys. I was kind of like you know the sidekick that would hang out. We went to the bar and we watched um, Anderson Zova versus Rich Franklin. Oh, and, and on that same card, there was Rich Franklin. And then there was also Caleb Starnes, who used to fight in the UFC. And Caleb Starnes was from Surrey, BC, where I was living. So right there, first of all, I discovered that there's a guy from Surrey where I'm at fighting on the UFC. And then the second thing was Rich Franklin, which who I still have not met, who is, a, who is part of one championship. I've yet to thank that guy. But he was the pivotal moment where they said that he was a high school teacher. And that's where it clicked for me. I'm like, you're telling me there's high school teachers fighting for championship belts in the UFC? I always believed, like, you know, growing up on the Karate Kid and stuff, you go up into the mountains. These guys are trained killers from day one. They know their path from day one. They knew what they were going to come in. They're, they're descendants of Shaolin monks. Like, like you know, that, that, that was a Hollywood idea I'd always grown. Like, there's no way I'm, I could be that guy. These guys knew with their upbringing, this was the path they were on. Not knowing there was a high school teacher who was a teacher, but also one of the best middleweights in the world. And that's where I was like, so you're telling me I could go do this? And as soon as I said it, the people that I was with laughed at me. They're like, no, you can't. Just shut up and watch the fights. And I think that was the tipping point for me in my life at that point, because there was many moments up until that moment in my life where I would say something and the people that were around me would be like, no, you can't. Just shut up. Just be quiet. And I think that was a tipping point. I, I, I don't know why that was it. I don't know why MMA was it. But that next day, I, I went and found an MMA gym. And I became obsessed with it. It became the hardest thing I ever did. And every single day, it's still the hardest thing. And from that, I had no idea what path I was going on. But my obsession just grew and grew and grew. Where I just couldn't focus on accounting and living for a paycheck or living for... Like, you know, I just, I, I, something like an oyster opened up for me and I was like, I need to know where this can take me. Yeah. Even, uh, even Shane Carwin, he, he was doing a boiler room technician, I believe working part-time while he was main event and, uh, with, uh, Brack Lesnar, he was still doing that before, uh, he, he decided to do it a uh, full time, uh, for the time that he still was uh, fighting. I always yeah. thought that was really cool and made it, I mean, all you guys seem like you're down like human beings because you're like 
you're up there, you're playing like gladiators, and then all, all of a sudden you see a guy like, up, oh, I'm doing part time, working as either a teacher or boiler room technician. And it's like you can relate to that, and it makes you want to work harder to do your thing, do the things that you want to do, because then when you work, you can finally work your way to where now you're full time fighting or full time doing whatever you want. It's it's a positive thing that 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 maybe get into the sport even more. Seeing yeah, guys like that. Yeah, and that's why that's why I'm so vocal about my story because I know a lot of I, I get a lot of messages from Indian kids and stuff like, hey, I want to do this and this and this, but I didn't grow up in the sport. I'm like, listen, I did not grow up as a wrestler. My parents didn't put me in wrestling, they didn't put me in boxing, they didn't put me in kickboxing. I found this at the age of 23. And I it was a fresh slate. My only background was accounting, which I could apply to MMA, which is in no way applicable. So I think that story is just the first part of my life is so common to the Indian child because they're either told to be engineers, lawyers, doctors or something. And then I broke out of that and went against basically everything that I've been raised on in society. I had to go against my parents. I had to go against my family. I had to go against people talking a lot of crap saying, listen, this kid's going to get killed. He's throwing his whole life away. I had to fight all those things at the beginning. Um, um, yeah, so I had to go through a lot of things that not only culturally I was told to become, but as a family, as like, you know, just to play life safe, get a good job, make money, get a degree. I broke all that. I broke all that in a time when MMA wasn't even that big yet. So like now it's such a mainstream thing, but it wasn't even it, at that time, it wasn't even that big yet. What what made you uh, decide to uh, train at Teth Planet slash Extreme Couture? I know you started training at a different gym before that, but what made you uh, go to Tenth Planet? Well, I still train. Like when I'm back home in Vancouver, I'm still at Revolution Fight Team. I'm okay. still with with uh, with Viviano Fernandez and everybody. Um, and then I met my wife actually in Montreal when I used to train at TriStar. But then I had to, I just kind of ran into a lot of financial things. So I had to come back home. I had to get a job in Vancouver. And then I started training uh, Revolution again. And then the talent in Vancouver had risen so much where the West Coast was lacking a lot of talent. And the East Coast was like the hotbed. Now it's almost like the West Coast is the hotbed. And there's so much talent there. But for me, um, so Jeremy Kennedy, who fights over in Bellator, on the UFC, on PFO. He's one of my main teammates. He's one of my main guys out in Vancouver, too. Corners me for a lot of my fights. He came out here, and he's like, dude, okay. you need to come out. It's, it's their animals out here. They're, there's training regimen, the, like, you know, the high heat here, the acclimation, the elevation, the amount of talent you're surrounded by all day, in and out. Um, you never have to look for a training partner. It's just a matter of how many will show up that day. And then um when i signed with one i either was going to move to singapore which i didn't think was a good idea because um i just got married and me and my wife we have other businesses and other things that we run so i couldn't just pack up my bags and go and vegas is an hour and a half uh it's a it's a, a flight an hour and a half flight and i could do round trips for like 190 bucks i could go home on the weekends which this time I couldn't do. I haven't seen my family in about two and a half, three months because of COVID restrictions. So I haven't been home in three months and I won't see them till after my fight. But once I came out here, it's just been crazy, man. And since if you compare my performances and one compared to my performances and other promotions, you can see the difference. You can see the, you can see the improvements that I've made 
And right there, just being in discomfort, just being in uncomfortable places all the time, day in and day out, is when I realized I had to keep coming back out here. As I had to train with the best guys, had to, it's crazy, man. Every day, like every time I go into sparring, I get the same butterflies I get on fight day. I don't get that back home. Um, I get the amount of talent, but we go in there, we kind of hang out, then we get started, then we work hard. But here it's like you walk in and guys won't even talk to you on training on sparring day that would talk to you the day before because everyone's in their zone. Everyone's getting ready for like some guys bring their own reps. Kevin Lee brings his own damn ref to sparring. So it's like it's like guys are dead serious and you don't know who you're going to get for what round. And it's just show up mentally ready, show up focused or everyone's at a level where you got to know when your hands got to be up, when your hands got to be down and what can happen. You take the risk of it. And it's a, it's a scary environment, but it makes you improve like crazy. Uh, this is a two-part one. Uh, what's uh, what's a typical training schedule like? And then how is it working for one, like it being in Singapore? Like, do you have to do a lot of media there or do they let you do it from home? Um, so my typical training schedule here is um, I train about two to three times a day. But what a lot of people don't know is um, – I work also on the side. So so I'm heavy into stock trading and day trading. So oh, cool. I'm up at 3.30 a.m., 4 a.m. every single day. Um, I'm researching before that. I go to sleep around 10. I'm researching the market, plus researching fights and my opponent and everything. I wake up at 4. I go to tra I trade till about 9, 8.45, 9. I go train from 9 to 11. I come home. I do power hour in the stock market. I do after hours in the stock market. I get ready for training at three and go again. I go to about six o'clock, come home, recover, eat, study the market and repeat it. And I just do that. That's just nonstop. I get to talk to my family for maybe 15, 20 minutes and um, set schedule all day. Now, as far as Singapore goes, um, I really don't know. I don't know how we're going to do media once we get over there. Or what's going to happen is, is my first time. I haven't been out there, but from talking to guys, I, like uh, Demetrius's corner and stuff like that. Um, it seems like we're all kind of kept quarantined in our hotels and everything's brought to us. There's certain times that we're scheduled to train. Um, they have a very good system of making sure these fights go off and making sure that we're in a kind of a bubble for the time that we're there. And that's all I really know at this point. It's going to be a brand new experience for me too when I head over there. So it's going to be interesting. Now you mentioned uh, you're getting ready for a fight. Uh, when is your uh, next fight and who is it against? Um, my fight right now, it is with Jay Hay Ostaccio. So it is the former flyweight champ. It's actually the person that Adriano Morales won the belt from. Oh, cool. um, but he also beat Adriano Morales the first time. So um, basically fighting the guy who passed the belt off to the guy who just beat Demetrius now. So it, it, it puts me right there in that conversation. I, I run through this guy, puts me in that conversation. My fight is May 14. Um, and yeah, it's going to be, it's, it's definitely a level up. It's going to be one that I think it's going to shock people. I think people are going to see, okay, this, this guy is definitely in the conversation. If not, he is the conversation. So um, this one's going to be the one. Yeah, I was looking at your uh, history, and I believe you're on a five or six win fight win streak. Yeah. So definitely, if you're if you're fighting uh, the guy that he uh, 
won the belt from, then you should be up there at least. If you as, once you win that, you should be at least in the conversation to uh, to uh, fight for the title, or at least maybe get a shot at a uh, Mighty Mouse. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, Mouse is one of my main teammates. Well, now I'm one of my main teammates now, but he is a very good friend of mine. Uh, yeah. We talk actually all the time. We talk more stocks than we do fighting. <laughs> so me and him, me, him, Eddie Alvarez, we all talk stocks and we actually talk finances more than we ever talk about fighting. Um, my goal is the belt. So Adriana Morales is the one with the belt right now. And that's, that, that's what I'm after. Whoever has the gold. How did you feel about what happened with the uh, Eddie Alvarez and Yuri Lapicus, uh, with the, with the stoppage? My personal opinion is, I think it was, I think it shouldn't have been a red card. That for sure. I think that was extreme. I think that red card was a bit too extreme. Um, I see what Eddie was doing. I don't think Eddie was doing anything intentional. I don't think Eddie was doing it. He was using his head just like you said he was. And um, yeah, my only disagreement on the whole thing was that red card. He shouldn't have been DQ'd. Um, maybe no contest, maybe something like run it back. Um, yeah, that's really, really all you can take away from that whole two minutes of a fight that it was. Yeah, that's that's what I thought. I thought that it should have been a new contest because uh, Eddie was moving his hand away from the head and then Lapkiss just had him to move his head yeah. in that direction. Just an yeah. unfortunate offense. So at least they, they should uh, look back at it and make it a new contest and maybe run it back so they can try to get a, a, a decision out of it instead of making it a – a, a DQ because I think it, with, with how Eddie was doing, it, it sucks for him all the time and work he put into it just to get a DQ on something like that. Yeah, it sucks. Trust me, it sucks. Now, how has your uh, one experience been? I believe you fought in it two or th two or three fights in one so far. Yeah. How's yeah. your experience been? It's going to be my fourth one now, and okay. uh, I love it over there. This this experience is going to be different. No crowd. Um, but as far as the staff and everybody, I love it. Um, um, I have no complaints about it. They're friendly. They respect the fighters. They, they, they like, you know, give the respect to, like, you know, the fighters that they are. They're not just kind of tossed around as me. And um, I honestly love it over there. And people always ask me, they're like, would you ever come over to the UFC? I'm like, no, probably not. I'm like, I don't think I would get that same kind of treatment. I don't think I would get that kind of same. Like I can message them right now. I'll get a response in two minutes. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I think once the place where a lot of guys from different organizations want to go to and they just don't publicly say it as much. It's, I'm around a lot of these guys and I hear what they're saying. So I'm very happy with it. I think I, I will finish my career with one. Um, I don't see why I wouldn't. And everything, uh, hopefully I can go into some sort of business role with them, some sort of ambassador, some sort of uh, ambassador for Indian MMA or something, bringing up the next generation of people. So I'm hoping I can not just fighting, but I can go into the business side of it because that is where yeah. background heavily is. Um, yeah, so I think I'll be around with one for a long time. Could you see yourself in the future, not now, but maybe a few years from now, dabbling in the kickboxing or Muay Thai part of it, or do you just see yourself doing the MMA side? I thought about it, and then I see a guy like Rotting, and I'm like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't want, I don't want it. If I can't take that guy down, if that option is not there for me, and he's hitting me with small MMA gloves, yeah, I'm good. I'll, I'll, I'll stick on the MMA side of things. Um, 
I thought about it until I started watching these guys. So it's almost like I was naive. It's like a street fighter going into a fight thinking he can beat somebody up, but he's never been in a fight with an MMA guy. It's the same thing of me going into a fight with a guy that's had 200 fights. Yeah. And so as soon as I saw the footage, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't, I, it's a different thing. Have you seen yourself moving up in, up a division in the future, or do you like it where you're at at the flyweight? I'm happy at the flyweight. Um, there's no reason really for me to move up. I'm at an age where I don't think my weight's going to go up even higher. I think I've grown into the body I'm going to be. Um, yeah, I, I think just with the hydration test and everything, it's why I also like one for that is because I'm around – most guys that are naturally my weight, I know guys aren't coming in 170, 175 on fight day or something like that. So I'm happy with, with this weight class and the way one runs it with the whole hydration test and all that stuff. So I think I'll be staying at this where 125 would have been very drastic. Like if I was making that one and 145, I guess is the bantam weight in one that would make me smaller. So I fit right in the, I think the average of most of the weights with, most of the fly rates in one championship now. An intriguing question I had. I, lately, I've seen a lot of guys uh, asking their training partners to uh, be one of their coaches for one of their fights just to help them out. Uh, is that something that you would do if one of your uh, guys asked you to be in their corner? Uh, for them to be in my corner or for me to be in their corner? Either. Well, I actually do have one of my training partners cornering me for this one. Uh, Gustavo Lopez, he fights in the UFC. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, Gustavo's going to be with me out there. Um, yeah, and that's because, yeah, so I have a training partner, somebody I work with a lot, and uh, I think he's a good body for this one too. So, yeah, so he'll be cornering me and be my training partner while I'm, while I'm out in Singapore. Oh, that's that's really cool. I, I, I watched him a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. I actually really like him. I like the, his style. But uh, the last question I had, I don't want to waste too much more of your time. If you had, if, if you had to give advice to amateurs working their way up the system, what would you tell them? I would say, first of all, know what your why is. Why are you fighting? What are you doing this for? Because I'll tell you right now, I started this 12 years ago. And I'd say 99.9% .9 of the people I started with are no longer doing it. So it's really like Darwin's theory, a survival of the fittest. I actually didn't realize I have one of the longest sustaining careers in MMA. I actually didn't even think about it until I started fighting it. I started fighting in 2007. Now it's 2021 and I'm still at it and I'm still doing it. It's just because my why was so powerful. The days that I wanted to give up and walk away, my why would bring me back. I wanted to represent my people. I wanted to represent my nation. I wanted to represent my family. That's what even got me out to this training camp. Um, a lot of people around me were asking, they're like, dude, why are you still fighting? Because I I got quite successful in the stock market. Everything was good. I wake up, I'm eating good, I'm living good. It's a lot different than when I had no money in my pocket. I figured out things during COVID where I was able to create businesses. When the whole world shut down, I was able to thrive. So when fighting opened up, I showed my family, I'm like, listen, see, I was never doing it for the money. I was doing it for the representation. I was doing it for the fact that I want to fight for my people. And while I have this healthy body for the time that I have it, I want to use it. I don't want to just like, you know, give into the money and just sit at home. And then one day, 20 years from now, when my body doesn't want to do these things, I'm like, oh, I wish I had given a few more years when they could do it. So um, that's what I would say to amateur fighters. I would say, know your reason of why you're doing it. If you're doing it for girls and getting into clubs and getting free drinks, 
you're not going to last. I'm telling you, because I know those people that started with me that didn't last. Um, you're going to get tested in this because I started when I was 22. I am now 34, 33. And, and um, you don't think things happened along the way? Since that time, I've gotten married. I've bought a house. I've gotten bills. I've got have to handle mortgages, payments. Had to look at the well-being of other people around me when when I was 22. It was just all about me. It was just whatever I wanted to do. So these things had to change, but my why had to keep it somehow keep bringing me back to it. So that's what I say to people that if your why is not powerful, you're not going to make it in this. And I know most people are going to be like, "What gym should I train at? What art should I start with?" Forget the arts. Forget the background. Forget what you should like. What martial art? Know the reason you are doing it and whether it's powerful enough to carry you through this. Uh, last thing, uh, do you think uh, being successful with the stock market has made uh, training a lot easier because you're not stressing over everything with money and you could just go in there and train? That's been a big factor of it. It's been a beautiful thing. But one of the other things is that I've gone so good at it, of studying charts, of seeing things. It's actually like, you know how some fighters play like video games and Call of Duty and they keep their instincts the instincts up so they're fast triggers like max holloway all these guys they all play call of duty and stuff for me i don't play video games i do the market so i can read charts really quick i can get in and out of trades like it's trigger fast you gotta sometimes sometimes these trades last 20 30 seconds and you're in and out in and out in and out so these things i'll be doing till about 8 45 and then i'll go into training and i'm already wired in i'm already zoned right into the training center where guys are still kind of skipping and warming up i'm already ready to go so and then i snap mm -hmm training and i go right back to the laptop and i'm triggered again and then i sound so what that's helped me do is it's helped me not burn out in training camps because i'm not just thinking about the fight 24 damn seven which is something you're just constantly constantly can't sleep at night because i have something else that takes me away from it but it's not yeah. something that makes me lazy either i it keeps my knowledge i have to read articles i got to read sec reports i got to read filings i got to see charts so it keeps me sharp and that's the balance I've really liked. I've enjoyed it. Like, and it helps, it keeps me motivated. I enjoy waking up at four and knowing, I don't know how much money I'm going to make today. Like, you know, just that no ceiling is really fun for me. And then just getting to go train for a fight and then get ready for a fight. And just like, it's cool. It's like, it's a cool life that I took control of and developed more for myself. Right. Like I try to stay out of all the norms of life. I never want to go back to a nine to five. I never want but technically, instead of doing a nine to five, I now do a 24 seven, right? So it's, it, but the 24 seven is something that both things I'm passionate about. So it never feels like work. Like the training can get rigorous, the studying can get, but it never feels like work. It's always a, it's a passion. It's not, I'm being forced to do it. I choose to do it. So that's a, it's a different feeling when you're, when you're in that line. Yeah, because you're doing something uh, you really like. You're not forcing yourself to do it. It's just, it's coming fluently. You like to do it. So whereas a nine to five, you're like, oh, when am I done? Yeah. You're, you just keep on doing this. You're so used to it. You love it. So yeah. you don't mind it. And one of the biggest things is that that the stock market, like all things, it's the psychology behind the stock market that makes you successful. It's not knowing how to do numbers and stuff like that. And yet all the lessons that I've learned that made me successful in the stock market is the lessons I learned in MMA. I went to accounting school. There's not a single thing I've used from my accounting course or school that I've applied to the market. But almost every lesson that I've learned in MMA 
the panicness. If something goes wrong, how do you keep your head together? How do you show no emotion when you're on a high? How do you show no emotion when you're on a low? How do you keep your head straight? How do you develop information and chaos? How do you like, and that's where a lot of people that I kind of strive over top of a lot of people that are traders that kind of panic when stuff goes sideways and like, you know, get really happy when stuff goes really high. I keep myself very mellow. It's just like a fight. You, it's like a poker face of the whole thing. And these are all psychological lessons that I learned in MMA that now I apply in the market and then I bring it back. So it's the psychology of MMA that's made me successful in trading. Yeah. Well, I don't want to waste too much of your time. Uh, thank you so much for coming on and talking to me. Uh, you gained a, a new fan and then I wish you luck uh, next month in your fight. And I'm hoping to see you go for the title against Adriano Moraes. Thank you. Appreciate it. You'll see that soon. Yep. Yep. Have a nice day. Thank you, man. Have a good one. Yep. Well, that is uh, that is uh, Gary Mangat uh, joining us today. I would like to say thank you for him to come on, uh, give us a little bit of his time. Good luck to him on May 14th in one championship. You guys definitely need to check it out every Wednesday at 10 o'clock on TNT right now. They're showing it in the U.S. for the first time and they're gauging interest to possibly uh, doing it uh, permanently. I'm hoping they do because it's a promotion that needs to be watched weekly now because it's very underrated and very great. Uh, great. And then he's been part of them for a while and he's definitely an up-and-coming guy that I'm looking forward to seeing win the Flyweight Championship in one. But once again, that's Gary Mann guy. Flyweight, a contender, and one championship. And as you know, we are Cage My Q. You can follow us on all these handles down here on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Check us out on all those, follow all those social media channels. And then you can also follow us live when we go live on Monday nights at 8.30 to recap every UFC uh, uh, event at twitch.tv slash Q. You can, uh, you can subscribe to that channel, follow us, give us a comment, let us know what you think of our of our brand, and you can check out all of our content, whether it's previews, recaps of live events, or our interviews. You can go to our YouTube channel at Cage My IQ, subscribe to that, hit us up in the comments, let us know what you think of all of our content. We, we love all the feedback that we get from you guys, and we love all the support. But I am D-Bake, host of KGYQ, and you guys have a nice rest of your day. Thank you for watching this episode of Cage My IQ on the Sports Box. Please remember to follow us on all of our social media outlets. On Facebook at Sportsbox Show, Twitter at Sportsbox Show, Instagram at The Sportsbox Show. Find us on YouTube and join Outside the Box, our Facebook sports discussion group. The Sports Box is brought to you by our sponsor, Showcase Sports in Hamilton. Showcase Sports for the elite athlete. And also our friends over at Crowdplay. Download the free Crowdplay app today and use promo code THEBOX at sign up for 10 free points. Thank you for joining us.